0: Here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's word. So we're looking at this series, and we basically as a, as a church body. And I like it. Grace Life Church is not just Alenbosch, like I said. We're all part of the church, like Tigerberg, Piketberg, Rondebosch, Albania, who was in online. Uh, It's all part of the church because that's just how it works. Paul writes to Titus and he says, for this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would put things in order that's been not yet done, but also that you would appoint elders in every city. So God's dream was that there's one church in every city. Now, I know that's not the dream currently, because you can go to probably, I don't want to guess, how many churches in Stellenbosch this morning. But God's dream is never that. God's dream is unity. And the only way that we'll ever get into unity is through the Spirit. There's no other way. Because we all have opinions, we all have ideas, we all have backgrounds, the only chance we have of unity is the Spirit. Okay, now, what I want to share with you this morning, and we're going to continue on this theme of the Spirit, is what is God's dream? And then it was referred to already that what God wanted to put in you, He put in you when you got born again. Okay, so if you're not born again, listen, because you're missing out. Like Rudolf said, maybe you're a zombie, and it's not degrading. It is, we really have that heart to see people come to life. We have that heart when we go out on the streets and when we do ministry, um, is that it is dead people looking for life. And what they need, we have. What they need, we carry. So what God has placed inside of us needs to get out. And for so long, um, for generations, for centuries, it's been about working for your salvation, where the word clearly says, work out your salvation. So there's a big difference to work for something and to work something out. Because if you're working it out, that means you already got it. Amen? So we already got what we're looking for. And what we're looking for is the power of God. And that's why the the, the conference was so amazing. It was purpose, passion, and power. And if you're looking for purpose, you're looking for your calling, welcome to church. (laughs) This is your calling. And not to gather on a Sunday, but to be part of this body moving forward and changing the world. Now do we change the world, we work out what is on the inside of us. Amen? You know, there's so many things I want to share this morning, because when you go to a conference, you stir up what is inside, and you're full. So I'm going to try and stick to my notes uh, for Teresa's sake at the back, but we'll see. So Genesis 1, this is not in the notes. Don't worry, Teresa. Genesis 1, what happens? The Spirit of God hovers over the waters, and it says the earth was without form, and it was void. So what we do as ministers, as, like it's all of us, Say, I'm a minister. I'm a minister. Peter is not the minister. I'm a minister. Where are the ministers? Ephesians 4 says, my job is to equip you to do what? The work of ministry. And ministry is serving. If you go on Google and you search an image for ministry, then you get funny things. You get lots of pulpits. That's not ministry. Ministry is serving. Jesus washed feet. He got into the toe jam of people. Amen? Amen. You need to get there in the crevices, and, and, and you get to get on your knees, and you get to smell amongst the sheep. A good shepherd smells of a sheep. Amen? He doesn't come in with a white suit and a gold carpet after everything, and walks, and everyone needs to look down. This, that, some people think that's ministry. That's not ministry. That's idolatry. That's something completely different. One of the things Etienne said yesterday is, we should never put the man of God above the Word of God. I mean, that was a punch, <laughs> but it was a good punch. No matter who you listen to, who you read, whose books you read, make sure that you are willing for the Word to get in the way of what that person believes. Because we all are growing somewhere. No one has arrived, amen? No one. Even that person you're thinking of now, they don't know everything. And they'll tell you they don't know everything. So what do they know? They know what they know. And Paul prays in Ephesians 1 that we grow in increase in knowledge and understanding of what we need to know so that we can live and work out what is in the inside of us. So when I minister, when I prepare, I want you to know more. But not to know more for knowing more, but to know more so you can do more. I want you to know more of what is on the inside of you. Colossians 1, Philippians 1, there's a similar thing where Paul says, our partnership, but your fruitfulness since the day you've heard the gospel. So when do you start being fruitful in the kingdom? When you get born again. It's when you get born again that you have something to give it's when you heard something that you've got something to say when you heard the good news that's when i went and i was like i want to give my life for this because so few people know this i want them to know you see then life becomes less about you and more about others because what the the even the verse leon read now from um, philippians 2 consider others more important than yourself so back to genesis 1 the earth was without form and void void means empty and what was happening the spirit of god was hovering over the face of the earth what is happening currently nothing has changed people are without form and empty and the spirit of god in us amongst us and through us is hovering and looking who we can fill with life, who we can fill with, with purpose, who we can fill with power, who we can call into this movement, which is gatherings, which is family, which is people on a mission to see Christ come. Because people are zombies. They are without form and they are empty. But what we have, some people call them sinners. But I think we need to change that mindset because we have an understanding that a sinner is someone who does wrong, someone naughty. That's not a sinner. A sinner is someone who is dead. A sinner is a zombie. A sinner is someone who is missing the life-giving part, the part that will actually live forever. So we say, come to Christ and you will live forever, but then stay with Christ through doing right. Who's heard that? We are very gracious as a church when you're outside, but once you're inside, buddy, you need to clean up your act. You need to start dressing like us, doing like us, and why weren't you there over the weekend at this conference? I know some churches where you need to, uh, life group leaders need need to report on the giving of their members in their life groups. They need to to take account of tithing and all those things. You'll never hear that here. Because you are free to give and you are free not to give. You are free to attend and you're free not to attend. And uh, like we said, we're moving forward, we're moving in a direction, so it's in your best interest to come with. Because we, we want you to come with. We want to take you somewhere. And Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I think this was a beautiful weekend celebration of just the leadership structure within Grace Life, where there's overseers, and then there's Shane and Marna, and then there's the campus leaders. And we were all saying the same thing. The biggest thing of big church movements is people are no longer preaching the same message. It's the same brand, but it's not the same message. Where we want to, there's only one message. So, unless you get up into La then Land, then, you, then you're fine. And like Etienne said it as well yesterday, was, don't let a piece of the puzzle, don't make the full puzzle one piece of the puzzle. Yes, there's provision, but that's not the, that's not the gospel. The provision of eternal life, that is the gospel. And yes, God can also give you things on this earth. I'm saying a lot of things this morning. You need to keep up. <laughs> so we are looking at God's dream. Is the aircon on, or is it just me who's excited? <laughs> I'm not sure. It is a bit stuffy, I believe. Thank you, Anna. Honor. We'll, uh, we'll ask you to put it off when we're called again. So we're looking at what is God's dream? What is God's plan? Why are we here? That's the type of questions we can answer. Hebrews 11 from verse 39, I'm reading the voice translation which I got this week, which will, uh, which will help us. It says, These, though commended by God for their great faith, did not receive what was promised. That promise has awaited us who receive the better thing that God has provided in these last days. I mean, that's amazing. There's a promise, and it's a promise of better things. And God has provided it in these last days, so that with us, our forebearers might finally see the promise completed. I like that, because I've been trying to convey this message the last four weeks, this is week five, about what is this promise, what is this dream, and it is something better than we see in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, therefore, is incomplete because it says that they without us will not reach perfection or completion. Meaning now that we are there in the last days, when is the last days? The last days is when Jesus said it is finished and he rose again. That's when the last days started, the church age. So don't worry whether this is the last days or not. For this generation, this is the last chance they have to receive Christ. That's why I don't mind about, I don't bother about end times because for the people living now, this is their end time. If they die now before Christ comes, then it's done. Then it's too late. So there needs to be an urgency. There needs to be a motivation from our side. We looked at Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, where we say, We know the thoughts and plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts and plans of welfare and peace and not for evil, to give you hope in your final outcome, to give you an expected end. And what we've done with this verse is we've made it materialistic. We've carnalized it. Not cannibalized it. We've carnalized it. We make it something carnal. We make it something material. God's going to give me a better car, a better job, a greater house. No, it's not that. This was before Christ. This was before the cross. God said, I know the plans I have for you because I've made a promise. And God's promises and his plans are in alignment. Otherwise, we have a bigger problem. So he makes a plan and then he makes a promise. And the promise is that the Holy Spirit will be poured out. And Hebrews 11 says that clearly, that he, what we have promised, has awaited us to receive something better that will only be provided in the last days. And when was it provided? Pentecost. Okay. we're not praying, we're not screaming, we're not fasting, we're not doing anything to get God to move. That's a culture statement, <laughs> if you wanted one. Why? Because God has moved. God has poured out the Spirit through Christ. Jesus says, all authority in heaven, the spiritual realm, and on earth, the natural realm, has been given. I've taken it back on the cross. Therefore, now go out and change the world, but wait. Why wait? Wait, because you will receive the power from on high. Yesterday I read it in the conference. We always read uh, Mark 16 and Matthew 28, the Great Commission. But Luke 24 also includes that. And it says, go and wait for the promise which will be fulfilled and poured out and will endue you with power. That's all you have to wait. So church, the Spirit has been poured out. So there's no more waiting. The waiting stopped 50 days after the cross. That's the last time the church was called to wait. Since then it was go, 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 go. Green light. But in our minds we have a perception of a red light mentality. We wait until we hear go. Where Christ said go. And then he'll call you to wait. Do you think we'll change the world if we have that mindset? If we just turn that around? If we assume a green light. And then God intervenes and says, whoa. That's what Paul did. Read the book of Acts. Many times, we were planning to go there, but the Spirit prohibited. We were planning to go there, but we failed to stop. We, were, we failed to wait. I was coming your way, but then... So he wasn't waiting, I'm coming when God says go. No, God said go through the mouth of Jesus. Now we're going, and then when we're to wait, then we'll just pause until we feel the release to go. So God had something better in mind. An expected end. That means a birth at death. And that is what happened at the cross. Second Peter 1, verse 3 says, according as his divine power has given unto us all things. Say all things. So it doesn't say some things. Say all things. And I don't know about you, but given is what tense? Past tense. So He has done something, and what He's done is given something, but He hasn't just given something, He's given you all things. Yet we wait, and we pray, and we fast, and we plead. Where the Word clearly says, I, I think God says they're confused in heaven, He says, but didn't I say in Second Peter 1 verse 3 that I've already given you all things? You see, what we want some, often is carnal. But maturity is living less carnal and more spiritual. That is really what we are called to do is, is, is not to get more, but to use more of what we have. Stir up, fan into flame, stir up the gift, work out your salvation. It's all spiritual. It says, All things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. What is that knowledge? That knowledge is salvation. It's when you heard the gospel message, you heard it, and now you believed it, so now you know it. So that's where you got all things. The Passion says, Everything we could ever need for life and complete devotion to God has already been deposited in us by His divine power. Boom. God is given. The transaction from heaven was made. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing Him who has called us by name, and advised us to come through a glorious manifestation of His goodness. Remember that word manifestation. We might look at it later. 2 Peter 1.8 says, For if these things be in you, where are they? In you. in you. And abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whew. Gents, this is for us too. Because this speaks about spiritual fruitfulness. That we will not be barren, that we will not be unfruitful, that we will not be alone. That we will not be converts, but disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who makes disciples. A convert is someone who gets saved, but hasn't made a disciple yet. Passion Translation again says, These virtues are already planted deep within, and you possess them in abundant supply. They will keep you from being inactive or fruitless in your pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus more intimately. So if you saw the picture that we had up earlier, it was a picture of a fountain. And really the message I want to give you this morning is you have a fountain on the inside of you if you have Christ. If you have His power, if you have His Spirit, if you have eternal life. Romans 8 and verse 6 or 9, I can't remember again. But it says that if you are not, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you are not of His. So it means to be born again is spiritual. You cannot be a Christian without the Spirit. Okay, Paul said it, not I. I just quote what Paul said. He who does not have the Spirit of Christ are not of him, is not of his, so is not a Christian. Okay? So there's a whole movement of Christianity waiting or saying, I don't want the Spirit because they're weird. Now, some of them are weird, okay? <laughs> Jerusha has seen some of that. I've been in some meetings, some weird meetings. But we should also not shy away from it because it's weird. The word clearly says you are different, you're a peculiar people. You're a spiritual people. So now we have a worldly movement who takes spirituality and makes it cool, or woke is one of the new words. But they are just taking what should be real for us and they are taking it and making it something else. And like when I went to the spiritual society, the spiritual and yoga society on campus, they gave me vegan brownies. And I asked, I didn't eat them, I'm like, <laughs> even though Paul said you can eat any deadly thing and it shall not harm you, you might fly home after that, you know? be very calm, like spiritual things are working for me. How is something vegan, whatever is in there, spiritual? So I just asked the question, I said, if you are the spiritual society, what has veganism got to do with spirituality? You see how confused the world is? I was chased away for that question. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to say I'm clever, but I won't say what they are. But anyways, they're confused. Let's say that. You see how it's messed up because now people inherently want to do good. Who wants to do good? I want to do good. We want to live with purpose and passion and calling. And, and you saw all those things, purpose, passion, calling, um, power. So now I'm changing the world, I think, if I'm not eating meat. Because some CO2 levels are going to go because of the dung of, of, of animals. That's what they, that, 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 even scientifically, that might be true. But what about people dying without Christ? Yes, we might not have rhinos for our grandchildren, but what about people dying without Christ? Yes, we might not have dolphins because of all the plastic, but did you see, when lockdown hit, all of a sudden, plastic wrapping was okay? Because now it's about my protection, not about the dolphins. I'm just stating the obvious here. Because inherently people are selfish. And then what they do is they create us versus them. And as Christians, we are not ever called to do that. We are to be inclusive. We are not about what is right and what is wrong. We are about what is alive and what is dead. If we're all alive in Christ, we can be a bit different. We can even believe a bit different. We can be doctrinally even A bit different on some things, but there are some things that we cannot be different on because that means then we're either not born again or we're born again. I spoke to someone in the uh, week, met up with them for coffee, someone in Grace Life, and he said, I don't always agree with you. And I said, thank you, because I might be wrong. But there are some things that we can't disagree on. But it doesn't mean if you want to be part of this body, we need to agree on every single thing, because that will be immature, and it will be a cult. (laughs) and we know neither of that, I believe. We're growing in maturity, so at least we can be different. What I'm trying to show you is what is on the inside of you. Jeremiah 31 verse 9 says, They shall come with weeping, and with supplications will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. New Living Translation: Tears of joy will stream down their faces, and I will lead them home with great care. They will walk beside quiet streams and on smooth paths, where they will not stumble. For I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my oldest child. What I'm showing you is a, a, a prophecy of what is God's dream. We remember that's the question: What is God's dream? Why are we here? Why were God created as? And it is in, in Genesis one: God hovered in spiritual form over something that was empty and without form. It's still God's dream. To fill and create. To create and fill. That's God's dream. So He's created, and now we are fruitful and multiply, so we create, recreate, multiply, replenish. But God still wants to fill what has been created. The whole Bible, let me not say that, God's dream is found in Genesis 1. The earth was without form and void. So God did something. People, we have been formed, but a lot of people are still void. They're empty. God is not going to fill them without us going out and sharing the gospel message. That is both our calling and our privilege. Jesus shows up to Paul. Paul doesn't get born again there. He can't. He did not hear the gospel. He goes to Ananias. Angel shows up, speaks to Ananias. Says, go to a street called straight. There's a man there, Paul. Maybe Saul still. So I've heard of this man. So what? I've heard of Putin. I've heard of whoever your boss. Who cares? <laughs> you see, it's 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 easy to, to share on the streets next Sunday night when we go out and we don't know anyone. Because if it's awkward we just walk away. But share with your family and then finish the meal and stay for dessert. <laughs> that can get awkward. But you are where you are with the Holy Spirit in you for such a time as this for those people. Miracles are not supposed to happen here. They can. We've seen it and we'll we'll trust for it. Miracles should happen out there. And then we come testify of what has happened, and the greatest miracle of all is someone being born again because now they live forever I'm trusting for healings and miracles and all those things, and like i'm not against it i 'm just like this. You can get healed and grow a leg and go to hell. that doesn't help you God has a plan. listen to jeremiah 31 verse twelve therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord, for wheat and for wine and for oil, and for the young of the flock and of the herd, and their souls shall be watered a watered garden, and they shall not sorrow any more at all. What is God's plan? It's called the city of Zion, where they shall flow together in the goodness and to the goodness of the Lord. That's for me so beautiful. That's the picture. We should flow. All of us should flow. There's an overflow that God has put inside of us But we should flow together. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ because the body, who is the body of Christ? We, us. Paul clearly says some are this, some are that, some of these parts. You are not the nose hair, like I said last year, or the pinky toe, or the the head. Christ is the head. But we are the body. And sometimes you need to be the hand, and sometimes you need to be the feet, and sometimes you need to be the mouthpiece. and, And sometimes you need to, like, we do this together. But now there's an interesting scripture, 1 Corinthians 11, that says, for this reason many sleep and many are sick and many are actually dead. For they do not consider the Lord's body. And then people think it's about bread and wine. But you just answered, who's the Lord's body? We are. Now I take you to another reference of the Lord's body and now it's uncomfortable. You see, the Bible cannot contradict itself. So it says lots of people are sick, lots of people die prematurely. Why? Because they do not tap into the power of the person, of God in the person next to them. That makes sense. Many are sick, many are weak, many die prematurely. Why? Because we don't see the healings because we don't ask for it. Pride. I remember when we just got into healing, we were like, we won't tell anyone when we sneeze. Like, and you know, people come visit, you put all the medicine away. Arthur Manchin says you go to a doctor in the next town. You don't go to the doctor in your town because you might just bump <laughs> <know>. into someone. <laughs> now we've got missionaries in the hospital here, so now that's difficult because uh, um, Leon and Lorenzo works in the, in the coffee shop. And, uh, and, 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 but you are missionaries there. And like someone asked me yesterday, like, where are you from? I said, well, I'm from somewhere else, but I'm a missionary to Stellenbosch. That should be our mindsets. I'm a missionary where I live. I'm a missionary at work. I'm a missionary where I go. Where were we? Considering the Lord's body. What we need is amongst us. Is inside of us. Yes, it's the power of God. Yes, it's the Spirit of God. But it's inside of us. James says, If any are sick among you, let them. Call the elders, the mature ones. The know, the, who's that? That's the ones who know what's inside of them. Because you need someone who knows what's inside of them if you need what is inside of them. Because they need to know how to let it out. You see, we're on this journey together because we want to flow together. If you're not there yet, just hang on. Just come. Just stick around. Just come to life groups if you can. Come to the conference. Listen to the messages. Because this will all help you. I was standing in worship, standing at the back. Then I was really like just thinking that what we believe really works. I was like, just so like it was so encouraging, and I can see it in in, in you guys. I can see it in my own life, and I'm not talking about increases in money and new cars, those things. I'm, I can see relationships being restored. I can see people walking upright. I can see people becoming fruitful ministers. Not through anything, but just coming together. Iron sharpens iron. Okay, That's what we do. We discuss. Sometimes I need to drive somewhere, somewhere and I say, I'll phone someone and say, just come with me. Because in that time, we just have conversation. Standing in a queue at home affairs, take someone with you. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Philippians 2 said what? Consider other people more important than yourself. No? So there is an application if you ever wanted one. Just so that you don't shout at the lady on the other side. Like, If there's a brother or a sister there, at least you're going to be like accountable. No, I'm joking. Paul, Jesus sent them out two by two. He sent them out two by two because somehow there's just a boldness when we're together. Like, you can do it by yourself, but you're just going to do it much easier when there's someone with you. And that's really how we should live. Isaiah 58... Verse 11 says, And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy your soul in drought and make fat thy bones and you shall be like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters fail not. These are all Old Testament prophecies speaking about what is going to be on the inside of us, which is the fountain of life, which is the Spirit. And you know, a fountain really is effortless because it just flows. Now, why is that so important? Why is this God's picture? Because one, God wants to, to flow, but He wants to flow through you. Let we flow together. Think about all these streams. We were, there was, uh, one of the greatest testimonies um, that we had in Grace Life was this lady was a beautician. She's probably still a beautician, but she was working in the profession of a beautician. And she came to church and said, I just heard of so many people about this church. I had to come check it out. So there was cross-pollination. A lot of her clients were speaking about Grace Life. Speaking about life. So we were all flowing together and eventually she was filling up and then got born again. It's not just one person, but it is that flowing together. Now, I'd like to give you some answers to difficult questions in the Word, and we're going to do one this morning. So John 7:37. It's uh, the lady caught in adultery and then Jesus writing in the sand. I don't know about you, but there's many explanations. There's books written about what did Jesus write in the sand. Like and, and it doesn't say it. So we can we can talk about it, we can dream about it, but let the Bible interpret the Bible. Okay, that's one of my golden rules. Now on the final day, the most important day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried in a loud voice If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So what is Jesus using? What is the teaching aid? Thirst and drink. Okay. He's, the, he's not an energy ad. Jesus is not sponsored by energy and like he's going to get royalties on how much they sell. That's not it. It is something spiritual, but he's using something natural to communicate as a teaching aid, a prop. Lots of what the word speaks about carnally is props, explaining spiritual truths. Paul says, I write to you in this sense, slaves and masters, because this is what you understand. Who understands thirst? Marlisa once explained thirst in a, in, a, in, a, in a session where I was like, I want a drink of water now. <laughs> we don't know what it is to be thirsty, really, because we have a bottle of water at hand. But if you're really, really thirsty, you know you need, know you need water and you need now. So Jesus shouts, and in, in, remember, in the Middle East, in a hot and windy place, he says, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, who cleaves and trusts, in and relies on me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow continuously springs of rivers of living water. That's the Amplified, that's beautiful. It's a continuous flow, and it is living water. But he was speaking of the spirit, so he's not speaking about energy or born aqua or volpre, he's speaking about the spirit. Those who believed, trusted, had faith in Him, were afterwards to receive, for the Holy Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified and raised to honor. Jesus was prophesying about the Holy Spirit that they would receive after His death, the outpouring at Pentecost. He says, receive and receive until you overflow. So this is John 7. So when you read the Word, you need to take into context the context. Okay, so what comes after 7? 8. 8. Thank you. (laughs) So we're in John 7. Now we're going to go to John 8. And now look at John 8 verse 1. So the very first verse, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. After when? After the feast. He returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple where he cried out, If any man first, let him come to me. So this is two days in the life of Jesus. A crowd soon gathered. Why? Because this is the guy yesterday who spoke up about this fountain, and we want to know more about this fountain. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and talked to them. Just think about that. Do you and I have margin in our lives to sit down and talk to people? Because that is where lives change. We are often so busy running somewhere, going someplace, doing this, we, do not, we miss these opportunities that come to us. including I'm including myself. As he was speaking, the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and placed her out in front of the staring crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. By Moses' law, it says to kill her. So what do you think about it? They were trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Dum, dum, dum. Why? <laughs> Why? Today you're going to walk out with an answer. They kept demanding an answer, but he stood up again and said, All right, hold the stones at her until she dies, but only he who never sinned may throw the first. Then he stooped down again and wrote some more in the dust. And the Jewish leaders slipped away one by one, beginning at the eldest, until only Jesus was left in front of the crowd with the women. We know He didn't condemn her, and He set her free. But what happens here? What happens? It is Jewish leaders and Pharisees. What do they know? They know the law. They know the Torah. They know these Scriptures. They know the Old Testament. They know Genesis 2, Malachi. They know it so well that they can find their way around it. So when Jesus stands up and he preaches, he goes to, and Luke 4 verse 18, he goes to Isaiah 61. And he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So they know the word. So very often Jesus spoke about the Son of Man and they know exactly what he was saying. You and I need to do a Google search and try and figure out what is the Son of Man referring to. They knew where, they, they knew the context, they knew what was going on. So Jesus writing in the sand, he is communicating something. And it is not so much about what he is writing, but what he is writing on. The dust, the earth. Stick with me. What is the context? Everyone who comes to me out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water, fountain of life. The next morning they come with this adulterous woman. Who comes? The Pharisees, the scribes, the people who know the law. And they come in a legalistic manner because they want condemnation. They want condemnation of the the, the woman and they want condemnation of Christ, which they don't believe in Christ. Okay, That's their intention. Jesus, in all His wisdom, with the Holy Spirit, does what? He stoops down and He writes in the sand. Question again, why? So thank you that I have good news for you. I've heard many things. He wrote their mistresses' names in the sand. And He wrote... The law in the sand. And he, uh, he, he pointed something. I don't know. Let's not wonder. Let's know. Jeremiah 17 verse 13. Jeremiah 17 verse 13. This is one you want to remember. It says, "O oh Lord, the hope of Israel. I know the plans I have for you. To give you a future and a hope. Who wrote that? Jeremiah where did he write it? 29. What was the context? Messiah. You see, I don't just come up with these ideas. like We study it out. All who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth, in the dust. Why? Because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Do you get this? They come to Christ. They think he's not Christ. They come to Jesus. And they say, the law says this lady should be killed. The law says. Moses said, what do you say? Jesus says nothing. He refers them. He quotes Jeremiah 17, verse 13. And he says, your names... And I'm sure he writes their names in the sand. Because you are forsaking the fountain of living water, which I told you about yesterday, which is me. You are forsaking Christ. So he's taking something physical, sinning, naughtiness, adultery, and he's taking them to a whole new reality, which is a spiritual truth. And they weren't ready to face that. They weren't ready to, 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 to make that statement yet. So what do they do? They forsake again the fountain of life. And they disappear one by one. They say the oldest first. I believe it's because they knew the word best. They knew the scriptures. They were the first to, to realize what he was doing. Why is this appropriate in this instance? Why, like, Natasha and I spoke through it, and one of the questions was, why, why then? Why was the woman there? Why, why not somewhere else when He raised someone from the dead? Or, or why not the day before? Why in that moment did He choose to reveal Jeremiah 17 about the fountain of living waters? Why there? It's a good question, I think. So let's go to Jeremiah 2. Jeremiah 2 and verse 13. It says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. I mean, this is amazing. I don't know about you, but this is... Just, I've got an answer now for why Jesus wrote in the sand, and I've got scripture to quote. That's the first thing. They have forsaken the fountain of living water and hewn themselves cisterns, so they made for themselves bowls by which to carry water. The waters of life. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Water. So what he's saying is they've done two things. The first thing they've done is they have forsaken the promise, which is the Messiah, which is Christ, which is the living water. That's the first thing. Why did they do it? Because they thought in what they can make themselves, their own handiwork, the law, and what they've added through traditions to the law, they could be holy and they could have life, which is this water. But whatever is man-made can never hold what is godly. The law can never bring life. And they didn't just go for the law. They went and they went above and beyond. And they added to it so much because they were wanting to be holy, but it was all carnal performance. So when they come and they want to elevate the law, it is the exact moment Jesus wants to show them that the law is not the answer. Yes, Moses said something, but that's not what Moses spoke about. Because Moses spoke about me. John 5 says, you don't believe me because you don't believe Moses because you wrote of me. You see, the, 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 uh, the Israelites live carnally. They live without the Spirit. So everything for them is don't touch, don't see, don't... Well, even the law is not about that. It goes much deeper. You see, we read Genesis 1 and we read the earth was empty and without... But there's a, there's a second meaning. There's a higher meaning. There's a spiritual meaning. They have forsaken the fountain and they've tried to by themselves create something that can hold life. Legalism, law, performance, which can never carry the Holy Spirit. So what a moment to show that sinners is not what you do, but it's what you have or not. Being a sinner is not about sleeping around. Being a sinner is being without the fountain of living water. That's grace. And they weren't ready to deal with it. Because Jesus takes something that they want to make a tradition, a law, pick up a stone and kill someone, their body. He says, this is about so much more. This is about eternity. This is about the Spirit of God. This is about the fountain of life. And by writing in the sand, he was quoting a verse. They would really know exactly what he was speaking about. The context of that Call it weekend. The people, the audience, they knew the scripture, they could recite it. So he's writing in the sand and he's saying, Hey, what does Jeremiah 17, verse 13, say? And they were confronted with an eternal truth. They were confronted by the love of God. They were confronted with the goodness of Christ. And one by one, they disappeared. Does that help you? Does that bring clarity? Does that give you an answer when someone asks you for the hope that is in you? Hey, you know Jesus wrote in the sand? What do you think he wrote? Start the conversation. And then take them to grace. Show them his purpose is the spiritual flow, the fountains of living water, and that no man made thing could ever get close to. Because what we can make is carnal, but what He gives is eternal. Revelation 7.17, I'm closing. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isn't that exactly what the woman experienced? He said, hey, it's not about what you've done. It's about what I'm going to do. It's not about actions. It's about the fountains of living water. And I'm sure she was thinking, I'm going to die now, probably naked, ashamed in front of people. And she deserved it. Justly she did. I'm sure Jesus wiped her tears. Said, daughter, I'm going to die for that. For while we were yet sinners, while we were yet without God, Christ died for who? The ungodly. Those without God. So that we can live with God, so that we can have the fountain of life springing up, which is the Spirit of God. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.